You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. Well, Christmas is officially um, less than a week away, and some of you just went into a cold sweat um, and a minor panic attack because you haven't ordered your gifts yet. Um, But just a show of hands really quick. How many of you say, I've got all my gifts done, they're under the tree, it's all good? Any of you? Okay, so that might have helped because not everybody's there, right? So if you, if you just had that panic attack, um, I would go ahead and order those today if they're going to be online. Um, that would probably be good. Um, if you're like Christmas, uh, what, what? You know, like you should probably go and get some gifts. Um, but here's the thing about ordering gifts online. I don't know if you feel this, um, but when you order something, isn't it like the worst thing ever to have to wait for it to come? Like, does anyone else experience that? Like, man, when is this thing going to come? And you just check every day, like check the tracking, like thinking it's going to change, but like that's not going to change anything. Um, but you're just like, maybe it'll come early. You just never know. And you're just, you're just checking, right? You're just waiting. And I think, um, but part of this is human nature. Um, it's like the kid who gets buckled into um, the car in five minutes down the road. Are we there yet? Right? That's a common, a common question. But I think part of it is the age we live in today. Um, I, want, I want you to think about this. We want everything, and we want it at our fingertips, and we want it right now, right? Like, that's, that's the world we live in. This is often illustrated with food, okay? It used to be like an all-day ordeal for you to get a meal together and, and, like, put it on the table, and then you guys would just sit down and just feast for, like, hours because, like, it took like 10 hours to make this meal. And so we're going to enjoy it. Like we're going to go slow and we're going to enjoy it. But now we've got fast food, we've got TV dinners. But the funny thing about this is, is we're still so impatient, even with our TV dinner, that we can't wait for it to cool down and we burn our tongue, right? Like, what are we doing? Like, it took 30 seconds to make. Just wait another 30 seconds. You'll be fine. But, but we burn our tongue because we want it right now. I think you can also see this with information. Um, so when I was a kid... If I was feeling sick, okay, I would go to my mom, the doctor of our house, and I would say, mom, you know, I'm feeling sick. And she'd be like, okay, you know, what are your symptoms? You know, and I'd list them off and she'd pull out this massive book. I don't know if any of you had that. It was like this wellness book. And she would like look up our symptoms and kind of page through there. Okay, it looks like uh, you've got COVID. No, I'm just kidding. But she she would look up, probably shouldn't have joked about that, sorry. Um, But she would look up our symptoms and then she would find something um, that we had that we were were sick with. And it it took time, right? But now we can just pull out our phones and Google our symptoms and, and find it right then, right? Um, keep in mind, if you do that, you'll find out that your sore throat is probably a sign of cancer. And the only way to treat it is to amputate both your legs. So just, just a heads up. If you Google your symptoms, that's where, you, that's where it leads you, okay? But, but think about it. We have the world's information, all of it, at our fingertips in a moment. Okay, now compare that reality to the fact that God is a God who's just not in a hurry at all, <laughs> Right? Like he's just not in a hurry. Look how long it takes him to grow a tree. Right? I mean, he made this whole world in six days, and, and, but he's just not in a hurry. Look at how long it takes for a human to grow and to develop. And, and I mean, he's just, he's just not in a hurry. He's a God of patience. He, he's just up there and he's calm and he's, and he's in control. And, and I, I think it's very hard for us sometimes when, when our schedule doesn't align with God's schedule. Okay, kind of like waiting for that package to to get there. Like, when is it going to get here? And it seems like, when is God going to fulfill his promises to us? Right, we feel that even more, I think, today. Um, The the last time we were together, we started a series called Joy Delivered. 
And we said that those two words really capture um, the, the message of Christmas in a sense. It was actually, I, I stole that from a catalog. I got an Amazon catalog in the mail. It said Joy Delivered. And I'm like stealing that for my series this year. I like it. Um, and I told you that Amazon could not deliver Joy. And that, that was a complete lie. Um, and that a few months later, they're going to promise Joy with something else that they can ship you. Um, but true Joy was delivered on Christmas. And what we did is we looked first at why do we need Joy Delivered? And so that's what we focused on the last time we were together. We, we talked about joy lost and how God, the creator, made us and, and that everything was perfect. Think about this. In a world full of yeses, there was one no. And, and God was a God of joy, God of delight. He gave them everything they could want that was pleasant to the eyes and enjoyable to the taste. They had each other. They were walking in perfect harmony with their creator. Joy was there in the garden in God's presence. But then they believe the lie. Remember, you know, God, he's holding out on you. If you really want joy, if you really want identity, if you really want to make it, you've got to eat this fruit, right? That's what the serpent said. And they sadly believed the lie and they rebelled against God and it ushered sin and death into the world. And in that moment, what did human beings experience? They experienced shame and guilt and hiding from God, and and blaming one another, and that's an effect of the fall. But then we also said that the whole created order was impacted by this, which is why today we experience plagues, and sickness, and death, and war, and disease, because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Joy was lost. But if you remember, I said in the middle of all of that darkness, there was this little glimmer of hope in verse 15, um, where God placed an order, right, to kind of keep the theme of the series He placed an order that an offspring was going to come from the woman who was, yes, bruised his heel, but he was going to crush the serpent's head. That serpent that had had made that promise to those people for for joy, that lied to them, he was going to take him on fully. And and so what I want to do today is I want to pick up where we left off and I want to track that package, right? Like I want to see what what happened after God placed that order, what, what happened Throughout the Old Testament, because really that's an organizing theme of the Bible, Genesis 3.15. It's the first promise of the gospel. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to look first at the promise and then secondly at the waiting. And so we'll look at the promise. And I'm going to read Genesis 3.15. This is actually in the NIV. I like like this. I think you'll, you'll understand why. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. I like that. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And theologians call this the proto-evangelion or the first gospel because it's the first promise of redemption in the Bible. Listen to this quote from one of my commentators. He said, this gracious promise becomes an organizing theme for the rest of scripture and the rest of human history. Think about this. Every character and every event find their place in relation to the great battle that now unfolds between the conquering seed of the woman, and the resistance of Satan. And this is one of the the, the reasons that the Bible has so many genealogies. You know those spots where he begat, she begat, he begat, and you just kind of gloss over it in your Bible reading um, because you don't cherish the word of God. Get right with God. No, I'm just kidding. Um, You just kind of scan through that. You're like, what do you do? Guilt me for that. I do it too sometimes. I'll be honest. I'm like, I can't pronounce that or that or that. Okay. But, But the reason that's there is because it's saying God is faithful. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. Watch where the seed is going. Watch where the promised offspring is coming from. And and he's trying to, over and over through the Bible, remind us that that promised deliverer from from chapter 3, verse 15, is going to come. 
And he's going to crush the head of the serpent. Okay, and now, obviously, we don't have time today to take you through every single Old Testament promise um, to track that. Okay, but what I want to do is highlight some big ones for you. And the first one is in Genesis 12 with a man named Abraham. God makes this promise and I will make of you a great nation. This is verse 2 of chapter 12. And I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jump down to verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And here we see in this promise in Abraham that this promised offspring is kind of narrowed down to Abraham. It's going to come through Abraham. This promised offspring is going to descend from Abraham. Okay, that's the first thing we see. If you want to jump over to Genesis 49, you can. What happens next is um, after a really long kind of waiting period, again, Finally, Abraham has the promised son, Isaac, and then Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has um, the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And in, in Genesis 49, you would think that as he's blessing his kids before he dies, that Jacob um, would bless the firstborn with kind of the biggest promise. But it's not until you get to Judah that you see this amazing promise. And it's in verse 49, chapter 10, or chapter 49, verse 10. The scepter, listen to this, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. At that time, they were probably like, what is, what is he talking about? But Judah's going to be a king, and from him there's going to be a king who reigns, and the scepter's not going to depart from Judah. What about the firstborn? Why didn't the firstborn get it? But here, what God was promising is that he's not just going to descend from Abraham, he's going to be a king. And we saw that in Abraham's promise when he said, kings are going to come from you. Okay, it's narrowed down to Judah. Now, jump over to the life of David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you want to follow along, like I said, we're, we're running. Okay, if you track those packages and look at the shipments, okay, where is it now? Okay, it's in Detroit. I think it might be here tomorrow. Sweet. Okay, that's kind of what we're doing. We're just kind of hovering over, looking at some different promises. 2 Samuel 7. Amazing promise to David. It gets really narrow here. David descends from Judah. Again, this is why the genealogies are important. The seed's going to come from Abraham. Okay, now it's going to come from Isaac. Now it's going to go through Judah. Now we're at David, 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. What a great way. Can I just say, what a great way to describe death. Death is not the end for Christians. We're just going to sleep, but there's going to be a resurrection. Okay? I will raise up your offspring. There's the word. After you, who shall come from your body, and listen to this, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Here's what we learn here. He's going to reign forever as God's son. Now, there's a little bit of, in prophecy, when you're, when you're looking at it, you're going to see some immediate fulfillment, and then you're going to see a long-distance fulfillment. There's a little bit of fulfillment in Solomon, but then we see Solomon, okay, he builds the house. Is this the one? And, and, and people get their hopes up, and then it's like, ah, he's not, it's not working. He's going after strange gods, and, and so there's got to be something better coming, okay? And so that's what the promise is, that this offspring of David now, okay, so it's narrowed down even further, is going to be a king who's going to reign forever as God's son, Getting kind of specific. Isaiah chapter 7, 
You probably know this one. You might be able to quote it. In 7 verse 14, it says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we just read in Matthew, means God with us. So now there's this promise that this son is going to come who's going to be God with us. And I don't think they fully understood what that meant. Okay, You jump over to chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Here's picking up from David again. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I love this. Listen, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's like, if you're unsure that this is going to happen, it's going to happen. Because the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to do it. I just love that. We should read that and be like, yes, it's going to happen. It's awesome to think that God is going to fulfill his promises. So here we see that the offspring is mighty God, right? Who's going to rule on the throne of David. But there's more in Isaiah in, verse 50, or in chapter 53. Jump over to 53. Man, I just really want to read all of this. But let's just jump into verse 3. Isaiah 53 is talking about, in chapter 52, he's talking about the Lord's coming, salvation. And in 53, he's talking about this suffering servant who's going to come and actually going to bring in the salvation. In verse 3, he says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people. Verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Listen to this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. So much we could point out of that passage. I wanted to read a lot of it there. Um, I would encourage you to go home and meditate on this passage. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever comes, 
Isaiah says that the offspring is not just going to be mighty God, but he's actually also going to be suffering servant. And this suffering servant is going to bear our griefs. He's going to be pierced for our transgressions. We are like the sheep. We go astray. We want to go our own way. But the Lord takes our iniquity, our sin, our transgression, and puts it on this suffering servant who's going to come. I love that it says he makes his grave with the wicked. He's, he's murdered between two thieves, right? But then he's buried with a rich man. Remember, Joseph of Arimathea gives his, his tomb away, a rich man, where he's buried. I mean, this is just incredible. And then, because of him, many will be accounted righteous because he's going to bear their iniquities. This is the gospel according to Isaiah. It's incredible. I wish, again, I wish we had time to kind of unpack all that's going on here. Um, I heard a story one time about a Jewish man who actually, he was studying um, Isaiah. He got to this and he was just so perplexed by it. He's like, this sounds like the Christian's like Jesus figure, the Messiah. And he went to his rabbi and he said, I'm really struggling with Isaiah 53. And his rabbi said, yeah, sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And he said, yeah, like, what do we do with that? He's like, well, there's a few other interpretations. And he threw out some, but it just didn't satisfy him. He began to study more and more and more, and he became convinced, obviously, by the Holy Spirit working in him, that Christ truly was this suffering servant and this Messiah, and he became a Christian. It's an amazing story, but, I mean, it's so specific. Like, it's so specific. This is the cross laid out for us in Isaiah 53, like hundreds of years before Matthew even gets there to write about it. Like, this is awesome, okay? And so here we see, I just touched on a few of them, not all of them, but he's going to descend from Abraham. He's going to be a king. He's going to reign forever as God's son. He's going to be mighty God and suffering servant. And this is why when you open up Matthew, the first thing you're greeted with is a genealogy, another list of names. Oh, man, again. But there's a reason. We see Abraham there. We see Judah there. We see David there. We see these promises being fulfilled. In fact, in the life and coming of Jesus, over 300 specific promises were fulfilled. But here's, here's the thing. I know that was a lot, but you, you didn't come last week, right? We weren't here last week, so I had to give you extra Bible today, okay? I know that was a lot, but listen, here's, here's, here's what I want you to grasp, okay? The last sermon where we said God, you know, made an order, right? An offspring's going to come to, okay, let's trace it. All, okay, that was about 4,000 years. That is a long time to wait for people who burn their tongue in a hot pocket. <laughs> right? Like 4,000 years, okay? And so what I want to do now is I want to look at the waiting because that's, that's what we're doing in Advent is we're remembering the arrival, the first Advent, the first arrival of our Savior. We're kind of entering into the, the minds and hearts of the people of God in the Old Testament as they looked forward to his arrival. And, and we're remembering it's a time of waiting. And we actually find ourselves in another time of waiting today. We're in between the two Advents. And waiting on God's promises to be fulfilled is one of the hardest things to do in life. And you're probably like, okay, I see where you're going, a good message on waiting. I probably need that. I'm a very impatient person. But I'm actually going to go a different route. And I want to talk about idolatry. Because nothing quite says Christmas about idolatry, right? (laughs) Because here's what I, as I was studying the Old Testament, and I was like, how did the, the people of God wait? Like, what was it like for them to kind of wait? And some of them were faithful. But you know what a lot of them did? (laughs) Well, he's not showing up, so let's go put a statue on this hill and worship it. Right? Like, what? Let's make a golden calf. Let's let's go to idolatry. Let's, let's, Let's talk about the neighboring nations and see who they're worshiping, and let's go worship them. 
And here's what I think is going to happen for us in between the two comings of our Lord is that, man, it's been a couple thousand years. He still is not here. And we're going to be tempted to go to counterfeit gods, to go to false gods, to try to find joy, to try to find promise, to try to find hope. We're hardwired for hope. And so as we're waiting on God to fulfill his promises, it's going to be a temptation. Paul says that everything that was written before was written for our learning. I think just like the people of God in the Old Testament, as they waited for the first coming, as we wait for the second coming, we're going to be tempted to go after these counterfeit gods. And and here's the thing. There's a lot of different things that we could list when it comes to idols. Um, None of you, I don't think, have a statue in your backyard where you go down and like worship it. If you do, that's a problem. Come see me after the service, okay? Um, but, but here's what we do have, is, is we have idols that we can't really see today. And, and I love how Tim Keller um, unpacks this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. If you want to study this more, pick up that book. It's a great book. He defines an idol or a counterfeit god this way. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. And he starts to unpack these different idols. And he said there's these surface idols like money and spouses and children. Um, But really, these are just kind of the fruit of the root idols, the deep idols in our life. And and he gives four that I want to share with you today that I want you to examine your heart. I want you to do the work today. When we leave here today, I want you to do the work and figure out Where am I going for significance, for value, for comfort, for joy, for satisfaction? What idols am I running to? What counterfeit gods am I going to and believing these false promises of hope? Because that's, like, we look at the Old Testament and we think, you guys are idiots. Like, what are you you doing worshiping a big old statue? Like, like Isaiah, I love Isaiah in chapter 40. He he talks about the insanity of idolatry. He says, listen to this. A guy takes a tree, he cuts it down, and he forms a statue, and, and he overlays it in gold, and he puts it up, and then he worships it. Like, he made it. What is he doing? But isn't that the temptation? And so here's four really deep source idols that I think that you can, you can be tempted to run to, especially during this season, on um, power which is a longing for influence or recognition, control, a longing to have everything kind of go according to my plan, comfort, a longing for pleasure, and then approval, a longing to be accepted or desired. And so I just want to walk through those quickly. Power. Okay, if, if, if you have a source idol, a deep idol for power, then, then what you want is success. You want to win. You want influence. You want recognition. Your greatest nightmare is humiliation or failure. People around you if this is your source idol, people around you often feel used. I think there's a lot of pastors with this idol who kind of just use the people in their church to kind of build their own platform. And I pray to God I would never do that. But it's a temptation. It's, it's disgusting. But, but with this idol of power, people around you often feel used because you just want to use them as a stepping stone to get yourself higher. Your problem emotion, if this is you, your problem emotion is, is probably anger. Because right? you don't have the power that you want and, and, and people aren't submitting to you and you're angry about it. Power. Number two, control. Man, this is so Christmassy, isn't it? It's idolatry. I love it. If you seek control, you're probably very self-disciplined. You want certainty. You have very high standards for people around you and yourself. Your greatest nightmare is uncertainty. 
right? Like, man, I just, I, I don't know what's going to happen. This is terrible. I hate this. People around you often feel condemned because they're not like fitting in with what, how you wanted things to go. Your problem emotion is often worry because when things start to spiral out of control, you worry. Next, comfort. If this is your idol, then you often want privacy. You want lack of stress. You want freedom. You want pleasure. Your greatest nightmare is stress or demands. People around you often feel neglected because you don't want to put the time in to actually develop a relationship with that person or love them or go deep with them. And your problem emotion is often boredom. Because if, if this is your idol, then you're often a very lazy person. You don't want to, you don't care about power. You're like, I don't need that, I don't need control. I just want to sit on my couch, right? Comfort. I think a lot of us in America struggle with this. Some of you are like, man, that's one, that's two. Look, I got three of these so far. How many is he gonna list, right? Last, approval. If your idol is approval, then you're, you're longing for acceptance, affirmation, love, relationships. Your greatest nightmare is rejection. People around you often feel smothered because you just, you just got to know, do, are they okay with me? Like, is everything good? Like, do, do they love me? Is, is it okay? Your, your problem emotion is often cowardice. You don't have a backbone because you don't want to stand up so over here, you're going to be like, okay, they're making fun of him over here. Yeah, he's a jerk. And, and then over here, oh, yeah, you're a great guy because you just want everybody to like you. Approval. And, and here's how you know if one of these things is your idol. is If you look to it, you love it, you trust it, and you obey it. Because that's, that's how we are to go to God. We love him. We trust his promises. We obey his word. We know he's for our joy. We saw that in Genesis 1 and 2. Like, he wants joy. He wants us to flourish. But instead, we believe the lies of these other counterfeit gods. And instead, we love comfort. We love approval. We love power and control. I want you to think about this. If, if this is one of your gods, if, if you have an idol of approval, you're constantly going to be enslaved to what other people think of you. I want you to think about that. Like, if 99.9% .9 of the people in your life like you, but one of them doesn't, it's just going to drive you crazy, right? And here's the wild thing, is, is we allow people into our minds that we wouldn't even invite them into our house. But, but, but they're in our mind, and they're just controlling us because that idol of approval is, is what you want, and that's where you find value and significance. Power, you'll never have enough power. You'll never have enough certainty and control, especially in 2020, right? And you're never going to enough, have enough comfort, like that ice cream is it's just going to not taste good anymore. The Netflix is going to get boring. The couch is not, it's just not going to do it. Right? These things will enslave you. They will make false promises and you'll be wooed into following them only to be left disappointed and sometimes destroyed. And, and, and this is why I went this route because the people of God in the Old Testament over and over and over and over abandon the fountain of living water to go after these mud puddles. I want to challenge you today. Dig in your heart this Christmas. What idols are you worshiping? What counterfeit gods are you running after to try to find joy? That's, that's, that's what I want you to do today because all of these have false promises of joy, but none of them will deliver. What's the, what's the sermon series called? Joy Delivered. God doesn't make promises that he doesn't deliver on. 
And that's what we're going to look at in the, in the last sermon of this series. But as we, as we kind of wrap this thing up, I want you to consider the promises that you're believing. Do you believe that, man, if I just had power, or if I just had more comfort, or if I just had the approval, if it just people will just like me, it's not a big demand, I just want people to like me. If you're believing those promises, that's going to make your life better, and you're believing a false promise. We have the privilege of looking back and seeing God's promises fulfilled in his first coming, but there's a lot of promises yet to be fulfilled, right? We're in another waiting period, another couple thousand years. If he kind of follows up what he did last time, we've got two more to go. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but we don't know. He's not in a hurry. And it's in that waiting period that we're going to be tempted to go to other gods looking for joy. So this is what I want to leave you with today. Your joy in the present is directly dependent upon the promises you believe. What promises are you believing today? Are you believing that approval is going to do it? That comfort? And listen, these are the deep idols. Some of you are like, yeah, I struggle with like greed. But, but here's the thing about like money. Think about money. You could want money for power. You could want it to try to control things, to bring certainty. You could want money um, so that people will like you. You can want money for comfort. Like those are the, these are what drive our behavior, but they come out in all these different ways. So I want you to figure out what are the things I'm kind of running after and where is that really in deep in my life going? And in my life, I actually did feel like, man, I'm checking all four of these. But as I dug deeper, man, I really struggle with approval, which is a terrible thing to struggle with as a pastor. Like that'll just destroy you. It'll just control me. It'll destroy me. I'll never have all of your approval. Some of you hate the way I do things. Some of you love it. Some, some of you are like one day, oh, great decision. The next day, you're a terrible pastor. What are you doing? Like, I'll just never have everybody's approval. And so that's a terrible God to run after. And, and I noticed that like even in like power, I thought maybe it's power because like I'm a pastor and I'm, I want to I succeed. And, but then the more I thought about it, I'm like, I actually just want that so that others will think I'm cool. Like it's, it's approval for me. So you got to figure it out. you got to dig in your own heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal. What counterfeit gods am I running after? What a foolish thing, right? To go after an ocean, instead of an ocean of satisfaction, to run after a mud puddle? What are we doing? And, and so your joy in the present right now is directly dependent on the promises that you're believing. What do you love? What do you trust? What do you obey? Christmas is a story of joy lost, joy promised, and joy delivered. The question is, what promises are you believing today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to just dig in your word and man, to see your faithfulness, to see you over and over fulfilling your promises that you made in the past. And Lord, today I just pray that in the temptation to run after false promises, we would believe in your promises. We would have joy today because our joy and our hope are anchored in you and what you are going to do, not in what other false counterfeit gods promise us. Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here who's never trusted you for salvation, that today they would. You draw them to yourself. Give them a new heart. Save them for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.